This is the word of God. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, He said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said, Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. We're going to end the reading there. And we give thanks to God for his word. If you do have a Bible, then please do open it up in John chapter 11 and follow with me as we work our way through. Let's um, pray and ask for God's help as we come to his word. Lord, we are thankful that you have given us your word. And so, Lord, as we come to take this time to really focus on it, we ask that we would hear from you, that we would hear Jesus speak. Lord, give us ears that really would hear and eyes that really would see what it is you're saying to us today as your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just been singing, 
And we've been singing these words. Jesus loves me. This I know. You know the next part. For the Bible tells me so. Right? We've been singing it. You, maybe you learned it as a child and maybe you've sang it often. But the question that we're thinking about today is this. What does that love look like? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. What does the love look like? Because here in this story, Jesus' love leads him to do something that we perhaps wouldn't expect. Jesus' love leads him to delay. And for those who were there, this looked like this delay had meant that Jesus was too late. That when Jesus showed up, things were too late. And yet... I want you to see today that there is love behind delay. Love behind delay. I wonder, did you, did you happen to pick up on it? Uh, today's passage uh, kicks off by telling us that there was a man who was ill. His name is Lazarus. He lives in Bethany, uh, and it's the same village as Mary and Martha. And that's the same Mary who anointed uh, Jesus with ointment uh, and then wiped his feet with her hair. Now, presumably, this is such a well-known story that John thinks maybe you've already heard of it. He actually goes on to tell us about this story in chapter 12. We haven't got there in John's gospel, but maybe you've already heard, about, heard of it. Maybe that's what he's thinking. Or perhaps, perhaps in the way that he writes, he wants to kind of lure you in so that you keep reading. Do you know, like sometimes you, you, you do that, you're reading a book and you get details, and you think, I, I don't really understand that yet. But then later on, as you read on, you think, oh, yes, of course, right? That all makes sense. As I look back, I can see that now. Happens in a film, you think, oh, I'm not sure why they've told me that. But then later on, you're like, oh, of course, it all makes sense. Perhaps that's what John is doing here. And maybe he's, he's luring us so that we keep reading the gospel. Anyway, it's, it's that Mary that we're talking about here. Maybe you know her and her sister uh, from sitting at the feet of Jesus uh, and the, 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 the disagreement about whether they should be in the kitchen or whether they should be uh, sitting at, at Jesus' feet. Maybe you know that story. Well, that's the Mary and Martha that we're talking about here, and this is their brother. It's their brother, Lazarus, who is sick. But presumably, he maybe lived in the same village, but maybe not in the same house. Perhaps he had his, his own family. And so the sisters, they send word to Jesus, don't they? Lord, he whom you love is ill. That's what they say. He whom you love is ill. There's clearly a deep friendship between Jesus and Lazarus. In fact, there's a deep friendship between Jesus, Lazarus, and uh, the sisters as, as well. We see that in verse 5. We're told that Jesus loved them too. And so what we see here is Jesus has these deep and beautiful friendships. And maybe that's just worth picking up on as we pass by. Jesus has deep and meaningful friendships. Now, friendships are something that come up over time. You must invest time with people to be able to build friendships. And in how Jesus lived out his life perfectly, he had time to spend building up close friendships, real deep friendships, loving friendships with others. I wonder, is that something that's marked in our life where we really do invest in others and seeking to get to know them and love them well? Well, Lazarus is not well. That's what we know so far in the story. Lazarus is not well, and so the sisters, they do the right thing, don't they? They send word to Jesus. Lazarus is sick. What do you do? You go to Jesus. We know from John's gospel already that Jesus is the man who's able to do miracles, isn't he? He can turn water into wine. Yes, he can do that. Um, he, he can take a, a little lunch, and he can feed thousands of people, making it into this big, big, big lunch. 
Um, we know that he can make a, a blind man see. Remember back, he, he healed the official's son who, who was sick. And so what do you do when someone in your family's sick? You turn to Jesus, don't you? That seems like the obvious thing to do. But, but look at Jesus' speech that's recorded for us. Afterward reaches him about Lazarus. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Do you pick up on that? You see what's happening here? This story will not end in death. Whatever happens, death is not the end of the story. But whatever takes place will be for the glory of God and the glory of the Son of God. Through whatever happens, God would disclose something of himself. He would be glorified, and so would the Son. So what would you expect to happen? What would you expect to happen as word reaches Jesus about his good friend, a really close friend, being so ill? Well, you might expect Jesus and his disciples to go straight away to Bethany, that they drop whatever they're doing and say, right, he's sick, we're off. You might expect Jesus to go and bring healing to this man, one of his good friends. And as we think about it, surely that would bring God glory, wouldn't it? If Jesus was to arrive on the scene and this man who's really sick was to be healed, surely that would bring God glory, would it not? That's what happened back in chapter four, isn't it? Uh, Jesus just spoke, and, uh, and the, the official son was healed. What? Why, why would he not do that here? That's possibly what we're expecting to happen. Presumably, that's what the sisters had hoped would happen. Verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, so, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. I don't know about you, if I didn't know the story, I would not expect that to be the next part that I read. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. It's not really what we expect, is it? It's not what we expect. We expect him to head off quickly to Bethany. And yet here Jesus does the very opposite of what we expect. And what's even more strange is that Jesus links his delay, he links the fact that he's not going due to his love for them. Verse five, now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. And doesn't it seem so strange? Doesn't it seem so strange to us as we read the story? Jesus loves them, and yet he does not go to be with them. It's not what we think should happen. In fact, out of love for them, he deliberately does not go. <laughs> out of love, there is this deliberate delay. It surely must be hard for the sisters. You know? You can imagine popping their head out the door, looking up the street. Is Jesus coming? No. Looking out again. No, he's, he's still not there. And maybe, maybe many of us here can identify with the sisters. How do you cope whenever you come to God in prayer and you bring something to God and, 
and you're seeking this instant response to your prayer in the, the time frame that you've kind of designated, in the way that you want God to respond to your prayer. And sometimes God causes us to wait. Sometimes we sit in this moment of delay, don't we? Where we're not sure how God is going to respond in answering the prayer. Well, that's a, the situation that these sisters find themselves in. And it's a situation that often you or I find ourselves in, isn't it? And yet we need to know that there is love behind the delay. Love behind the delay. For those of us who are are Christians, we can know that God loves each of us dearly. And it is out of that love for us that God works in a way that's different than we might expect. And how he sovereignly rules, he, he does it in such a way that is for the good of those who love him all the time, all the time. And so after the the two days, Jesus says to his disciples that they are to return to Judea. Now the disciples, if you look, they're not entirely convinced this is a a good idea. That's maybe an understatement. Uh, They remind Jesus about what happened when they were there last. Uh, People wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone him. Jesus, is it really a good idea to go back there? Um, In fact, Thomas seems to declare with such certainty that What's going to happen when they return is they will all die as a result. See that in verse 16, don't we? But Jesus does not focus on the apparent risks. Rather, he focuses on the works that he is to do while it is the day. Look at that in verse 9. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because light is not in him. We've kind of had similar language to this back in in chapter 9. Some of you might have picked up on that. But Jesus' earthly ministry is short. It's brief. In fact, it won't be long until the the daylight period is over. This light of the world has only a limited time to shine here on earth. And so, now is the time for him to act. Remember, one of the things that we've spotted so far in John's gospel is that Jesus knows that Until his hour has come, he will not be killed. Until his hour has come, he will not be killed. And at this point, he says to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now, we're not actually told whether the disciples were aware of the news coming about Lazarus' sickness and whether they really knew what was taking place. Um. It's possible that Jesus has just kept that to himself, although to me it seems maybe unlikely. But whatever the case, the disciples definitely don't understand what Jesus is saying. They don't get the message. They think sleeping, well, sure, a a splash of water will wake him up. He'll be all good after that, won't he? But what Jesus is doing is he's using language that actually we're very familiar with, language that often we would use when we speak of death. And so he said, He was sleeping, but what he was really meaning was he was dead. But the disciples really miss what Jesus is saying, don't they? And so Jesus has to be quite blunt and says, Lazarus has died. But that's not all he says. Look at what comes next. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him. 
Presumably what Jesus is saying here is that if he had been there, if he had been with Lazarus when he was sick, and if he had healed him from his sickness, well then the disciples would miss out on whatever was about to take place, something that would lead to increased faith, increased faith and increased belief. And as a result, God would be glorified. Look at verse 17. And when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, think about the timeline here. Remember, Jesus only waited two more days on hearing of uh, the sickness. And so even if they had left straight away, by the time that they traveled, um, uh, potentially four days, uh, by the time they traveled to where he was, Lazarus would have already been dead for two days. So why did Jesus wait longer? Well, different people have different theories. My hunch is this. Four days in the heat of the, Be- uh, of the sun in Bethany near Jerusalem would mean that there would be no doubt that this man's body was dead. No one was going to misinterpret what had taken place. The body would be already decomposing. We see evidence of, of that later in the story. And so no one's going to think this is just a, an act of resuscitation. Sure, uh, some of you might remember when Christian Eriksen collapsed uh, on the pitch while playing for Denmark in the, the first game of Euro 2020 against Finland. And as the minutes passed, as viewers were kind of watching on all that was taking place, we could see that the chances of saving his life were getting less and, and less. And so whenever the news came through that the cardiac resuscitation had worked and that he was his heart was working again. There was great joy. And as a result, people followed the, the team and kind of cheering them on throughout the Euros. And now to see him playing again in the Premier League at the highest level, it's quite remarkable, isn't it? That was just a few moments. A few moments, and then his heart started beating again, pumping oxygen around his body. In this case, four days have passed. Four days have passed. It's too late. It's not just two days too late. It's Four days too late. And so in Bethany, there's a wake taking place, uh, one that's gathered a, a significant crowd of people around. Clearly, this is a family that's well-known and, uh, and well-loved within the community. It's only a couple of miles from Jerusalem, and so many Jews have come to show their respects for Lazarus and to grieve with the family. And it's here that Martha heard that Jesus was coming. At this point, she hears Jesus is coming, and so she goes straight away to meet with him. Mary is is left in the house. She doesn't seem to have uh, heard that Jesus has actually arrived. And so Martha meets Jesus, and this is what she says. She says, Lord, if only you had been there, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. You kind of feel a disappointment, can't you? the disappointment that she has in her voice. Jesus, if only you had have been there, you could have healed him. You could have healed him. But then let's know what comes next. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Do you spot that? Do you notice that? That even in her deep grief, she still has faith in Jesus. I don't think that she had in her head that Jesus was going to raise her brother uh, from, from the dead. Verse 39, we kind of 
show that she certainly wasn't expecting that to be the case. But in some sense, she knows that Jesus is able to work. Jesus is able to work in that situation for good. Whatever you ask, whatever you ask. She doesn't tell him what to ask for. She trusts Jesus. Kind of echoes back echoes back to the very first miracle that Jesus does recorded in John's gospel, whenever he turns water into wine. And what was it his, his mother Mary said to the servants? She said, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. I'm leaving it with Jesus. Do whatever he tells you. And so in a sense, we see this lady's faith as well, don't we? Jesus, whatever you ask from the Father will be given. But Jesus responds by saying, your brother will rise again. And Martha responds to what Jesus says. She says, I I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection the last day. She was an Orthodox Jew. Uh, She believed that uh, in the day of judgment, there would indeed be resurrection. But now look at how Jesus responds in verse 23. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Have a look, have a a think. What what is it that Jesus is really meaning here? Well, he is saying that it is through belief in him that you can experience resurrection and life. Resurrection and life. For those who believe in him, though they die, so he's talking about physical life here, yet shall he live. In other words, although you will die here on earth, there will be a day when you will be brought back from the dead, brought back to life. A resurrection really will take place. And so it's important to to realize that as Christians, we don't believe that there should be no pain or, or suffering at this side of eternity. If you find yourself somewhere and the preacher says that it is God's will for each believer that they will not have any suffering in this life, you should have alarm bells going off because that is not what Scripture teaches. It's not what Scripture teaches. Rather, our our physical bodies, for each of us, are, are heading towards death. No matter what age we are, unless the Lord returns. I just... um had my 35th uh, birthday. I t- told you about it a few weeks ago. Asked for lots of gifts, and I did actually get one as a result. Yeah, and uh, uh, kind of given up hope now about the rest of them. Um, 35th birthday, and, and obviously none of us know how long we're going to live. None of us know that. And yet, if we're kind of taking that three score years in ten as an average of life, well, then you'd say once you kind of reach 35, you're you're over the hill. Now I'm looking out. Lots of you are over the hill in that sense, okay? That's, that's kind of how we're, what we're saying here. And yet, and yet, I was reading a book recently, and they said it's really not a helpful way to look at it. This idea of, you know, up the hill and then back down the hill. They said it's, um, uh, well, it's not the most accurate. They said it's better to think of, of life like this. Think of life as a ladder. A ladder, and you're only ever going down. <laughs> you're only ever going down the ladder, Physically speaking, that's what's happening. Each of us are heading towards death. This is not the new creation. But then Jesus goes on to say, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Never die. 
And here he's not talking about physical life, but rather he's talking about spiritual life. Because for those who believe and receive Jesus, you have been brought to spiritual life now, and that never ceases. Even though physical death will come, spiritual life will continue. So let me ask you the question, does this life that Jesus is talking about, this eternal life, does it sound good to you? Does it sound good to you? Does this eternal life sound good? Because if it doesn't, if it doesn't, well, something is wrong. If it doesn't, as one author puts it, he says, you're not paying close enough attention to this world and its concerns. In this world, everyone loses everything. Eternal life only seems like a distraction from what you want or what you need if you pretend that you are not dying. Eternal life only seems like something you don't need if you put your head in the sand and pretend that you are not heading towards death. You see, eternal life is the thing that we really need. Eternal life is the thing that our hearts long for. It's what they were made for. Eternity is in our hearts. We were made for God. After these remarkable words, Jesus finishes up with a question to Martha. And here's the question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And look at Martha's response. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. What are we, do you see what happened? Here is this lady, and she gets it, doesn't she? She gets it, she understands with clarity something that many people in John's gospel up until this point have not got. They have been unable to see. She sees Jesus is indeed the Christ. He is indeed the Christ. He is the Son of God. And it's almost as if she's echoing the purpose statement that we find at the end of John's gospel. We've come back to it so many times. Just listen to it once again. We get this at the end of chapter 20. Now, Jesus did many other signs, miracles, in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, le- and that by believing you may have life in his name. It seems... Martha is grasping so much, isn't she? That Jesus is the Christ. He is indeed the Son of God. And yet I wonder, I wonder if there's still growing to do. Maybe she hadn't quite grasped what comes at the end of that purpose statement. That bit about life and how she can have it now. It's not just future resurrection life, it's life now. Perhaps, perhaps, Jesus is going to teach her more about that as we work our way through the rest of the miracle. But remember what's happening only halfway through the story. We need to come back next week to figure out what happens next in the story. We're only halfway through this story of Lazarus, but we're only halfway through John's gospel. So remember that as well. But here's two things I want you to take away from this passage today. Firstly, we see love behind delay. For the Christian, you need to know that Prayers that are unanswered, prayers that are unanswered in the way that you had hoped they would be answered, are answered in that way because of love, 
because of the love of your heavenly Father. Our prayers are answered for the glory of God and for the good of his people, that we might increase in faith. They're answered in a way that is out of love. Now, that might be hard to grasp. That might be hard to grasp. It might seem, depending on your circumstances this morning, that that is almost impossible to grasp. And yet, it is true. If you're a Christian, you can be sure that God is answering your prayers out of love for his people. And so you can trust him. You can trust that God really is working all things together for the good of those who love him. The second thing I want us to see is this. There can be faith in the midst of grief. There can be faith in the midst of grief. Martha here doesn't let grief and her loss take her away from trust in Jesus. Do you spot that? Here is this woman who's in the depths of grief. It's only four days since her brother, whom she so clearly loved as well, passed away. And yet it has not prevented her or distracted her from seeing the truth about Jesus and entrusting whatever comes next to Jesus. Whatever comes next. Here we see faith in the midst of grief. And Martha models it for us, doesn't she? For Martha, it was physical death of her sibling. But if we're honest, well, then our lives are filled with death each day, aren't they? Might be physical death, might be a death of a family member or a close friend. Absolutely, it could be that. But it could also be the death of a friendship, the death of dreams that you've had, the death of something that seemed to give you a sense of purpose, the death of each moment as it passes, realizing that as each moment passes, that's it. You cannot take it back. You cannot go back and relive it. And as each moment passes, there's this glaring reality, isn't there? A glaring reality that time is a gift, a gift that we're constantly running down the clock on, and we don't know when the clock stops ticking. But yet it's with this bleak backdrop. It's with this bleak backdrop that just shows us how much we need a Savior and how good the news about Jesus really is, that we really can have life in his name. Life in his name. And death gives us that focus, doesn't it? Grief gives us that focus. It shows us we need the good news of the gospel. That is our only hope. We need the reality of trusting in Jesus to know real life, lasting life. We need faith in the midst of grief, faith that Jesus is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. No, he he doesn't promise that you will get everything that you want at the time that you want it or in the way that you hoped it would be. Jesus doesn't promise that in this life, but he does promise to give us what we need. Last week, John was taking you through chapter 10, um, and you were thinking about Jesus being the good shepherd, weren't you? And he's a good shepherd who cares for his sheep. Think of Psalm 23. What do you know about Psalm 23? Well, you'll know that if the Lord is your shepherd, well, then you shall not want. He will give you everything that you need. 
And your greatest need is Jesus, isn't it? It's my greatest need. It's your greatest need. Our greatest need is Jesus and the life that can only be found in him. So let me ask you a question as we finish. Jesus asked this question. Do you believe? Do you believe? Are you putting your trust in Jesus today? Are you trusting Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, as the only way that you can have life and life in all its fullness? Everlasting life, eternal life, real life, not just in the future, but now. Do you believe? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us to see you more clearly, that we might recognize how in your sovereign rule, you rule in such a way that is out of love for your people. Lord, help us to trust that in all things, you are at work, you're sovereign, and that you rule. And Lord, would you help us, even in the most difficult of times, to keep trusting in Jesus? Perhaps there's people here today, and they don't know what the future holds. They're finding things very difficult. Lord, would you help them to keep trusting Jesus? Lord, might each of us know what this life in Christ looks like. We ask this in his name. Amen.